welcome to episode 90 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Joe Gantz, director, producer, writer, filmmaker, and activist. Tomorrow, Earth Day, Joe's new film is being released in theaters nationwide, The Race to Save the World. Joe and his brother Harry Gantz are the Emmy Award-winning producers, directors of Taxi Cab Confessions, an HBO documentary series featuring real-life interactions between cab drivers and their passengers that was broadcast for 15 years. Please also check out his other documentaries, American Winter, a film about families struggling in the wake of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, and Ending Disease, a film about how regenerative therapies are transforming medicine from a lifetime of treatments to one-time cures. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with Joe Gantz, director, producer, writer, filmmaker, and activist, soon to be releasing the award-winning documentary, The Race to Save the World. Joe, welcome to The Climate Champions. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you, Lee. Very nice to meet you. I really enjoy your film. I just want to say at the top, I'm excited that other people will get a chance to see it. It's going to be great. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you'll have time to get some of the activists from the film on your show. That'd be wonderful. Absolutely. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? What got you started in your climate change activism? Well, it's hard to say. Things have been kind of a desperate situation if you're paying attention for very many years. But uh, I think over the years, I noticed that early climate change films were necessary to fill people in on the facts of climate change. People weren't aware of all that was changing and all that was going to change and how that was going to affect us all. But as time went on, I think that information was in the ether. And to watch another climate change film, you really had to steel yourself to this depressing, overwhelming experience because uh, it's just so sad. And so to subject yourself to that, you just got to kind of build yourself up for that. And I thought that maybe my style of filmmaking, which I call life in progress, would lend itself to a film where I followed activists who are in the trenches doing anything and everything they can to turn this around, who are not heroes, but just like regular people who cannot tune this out like the rest of us. So I thought that would maybe be more inspiring and less kind of intimidating and the kind of film that could kind of get people into the streets and get them to make their voices heard. Was there a specific moment when you were motivated to fight for climate change mitigation or when you decided to make a movie about it? Yeah, the film preceding this was called American Winter. It was on families falling from the middle class into poverty and focused on income inequality. And that was a very important issue. I started it during the time of the economic downturn, the last recession. And when I finished that, you know, I just was aware that 
I mean, even then, which was seven years ago or so, they were saying that if climate change was not addressed imminently, that uh, it was going to lead to feedback loops and it would be impossible to stop it. So, I mean, I knew it was a very important and desperate situation that was critical to the future of everybody and everything on this planet. So just thought that maybe it was time to address this if I could. Do you have any personal drivers that get you up in the morning ready to fight the good fight? Well, this is a crazy time in our country and on the planet. You know, there's so many things going on. The last four years with Trump have been so overwhelming. You know, you wake up in the morning and you see some rule about clean air or clean water or, you know, something that would help fight climate change that is so obvious and easy to do and everybody wants, yet you would find that it had been stopped and so unnecessarily. So it's been an infuriating four years, a frustrating, exhausting four years. There's been climate change issues that lead to that exhaustion. There's been issues around lies and corruption that leads to that exhaustion. There's issues around the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and all these things that are going on. It's been a very overwhelming time. At the same time, I think it's forced people who care to refocus and re-entrench themselves to make a, another push. And I think that's why we were able to get Trump out of office, even though he got a tremendous amount of votes. So I think many of these issues, racial inequality and the pandemic and climate change, other justice issues can be approached now. When you meet somebody that doesn't believe even that the climate is changing, they don't believe the data or don't understand it, how do you convince them otherwise? I don't know that I do. I mean, I've been in a bubble for a while, so I'm not out there. Maybe when the film comes out, I'll be confronted with people who say that. But, you know, I don't know that I think it's my job to take some idiot who doesn't believe in science and turns facts upside down. My last film that came out the end of November was called Ending Disease. It was on stem cell research and regenerative medicine. And, you know, there's people who don't believe in stem cell research because they say the Bible doesn't want them to use fetal tissue or embryonic tissue. And, you know, you can't argue with those people. And uh, I don't know that you can argue with the people that say that climate change is not real. I think the majority, the vast majority of people do believe that climate change is real. And I think energy is probably better spent trying to motivate the people who know climate change is important and going to affect all of our futures and get them to make some sort of action to move this forward than it is to waste time with someone who is just defending themselves with such lies. So this film, I think, will touch people who know climate change is real and important and it's a situation that has to be addressed now. But yet they're saying, I'm going to let someone else deal with this. I'm going to let the government deal with this. So there's heroes that are dealing with this. I think this film where you see people doing whatever they can, who are just so relatable and are not heroes, they're just imperfect people struggling through their own lives. I think this will inspire people to get involved. I'm hoping. It made me feel like I'm not doing enough, to tell you the truth. And I'm doing a lot, I think. We're at a point now, I hope with Biden, 
he's going to try to get a $2 trillion climate bill through. But, you know, he's going to be fighting all these conservative and, and small rural congressmen and senators. It's important that people get into the streets and people just show their solidarity because otherwise the people who are working for the fossil fuel industry are going to do whatever they can to undermine this. And this is a pivotal point. This is a very important point. We have an opportunity now that will not maybe come again if we waste it. So this is a time where people do need to get in the streets. And that's why I'm hoping that on uh, the day before Earth Day this year, April 22nd is Earth Day, the day before, I'd like to have a, a preview screening with a number of climate organizations, such as Greenpeace, 350.org, Extinction Rebellion, and others, to show the film and maybe inspire people to just do their part. And everyone's part is different. Everyone doesn't have to do something like Abby did or Bill did, or certainly not what Michael did. But you know, if everyone does something and makes their voices heard, I think it's going to be very important and we can get a tremendous amount accomplished at this pivotal moment in time. So I think the race to save the world is a great contribution to the fight against climate change. Can you talk about other ways that you try to help? Besides the movie, I do the kind of everyday things that people do and congratulate themselves for, but it's not really enough. It's a positive. We got solar panels on our house. I've been looking into the price of solar panels for probably 16, 18 years and always seemed too expensive and I couldn't afford it. And I knew that I had to put every dime I had into these films that I'm making and we never have extra money anyway. So, but I, I felt when I finished these two films that I may never make a documentary again. And these, these two were very overwhelming. I need to take a bit of a break. So I just said, I have to do it now, but I have a lot of respect for people that do push themselves. I mean, I'm not saying I haven't gone to protests, but I'm not kind of on the level of the people in this film, let's say. And I think that the more people that can get into the streets and force the hand of the politicians and just make it so they can't get away with the double speak and the putting things off for another year and another year, it's, it's critical. I used to say that doing this podcast was one step removed from the people that are actually fighting. But now you make me feel like I'm two steps removed because you're one step removed from them and I'm interviewing you. I think that everybody is doing what they need to do. And doing this podcast is certainly very important. Making a film is important. Making these kind of statements that the people in the film are making. And I don't think there's any one thing that people have to do. But I think there are moments where... The day that Trump got elected, the next day, what was it, the, the women's movement got into the streets and it was just amazing, that statement and what it said. It was at 800 different cities and it was millions of people. I think that the, there has to be something like that. It's not that difficult to just get into the street and just be one of many. But I think that we're going to have to show that there's a solidarity and there's a wave of agreement that this has to be addressed. And if you look at the numbers, the people that know that, it's an overwhelming number. The people that actually will take the leap to stop their lives for a day and protest maybe is a smaller number. But I, I think that this is the year that people have to get involved. 
I think people will eventually engage and get in the streets because it's going to get a lot worse until we take action. But I'm not sure when that will happen. I don't think we can wait because there's so much heat that builds up in the ocean and the atmosphere. There's so much carbon that builds up. By the time we're feeling the effects to the point that, you know, New York City gets flooded and Miami gets flooded and, you know, the polar ice caps are gone. You know, it's going to be too late to say, you know, we have to do something. I think that most people do know that the time is now that the effects of climate change are being seen in storms and droughts and the polar ice caps melting and things that can't be ignored. So it's just, it's time that people make a statement and it doesn't have to be a huge statement like some of the people in this film. It can be a subtle statement, a day-long statement of getting in the streets or whatever your personal contribution is, but you really have to get involved now. We don't have a decade, certainly, to dither with this. Dither. We will wither while we dither. (laughs) Yes. How has the pandemic affected you? So I worked on these two films at the same time, one on stem cell research and regenerative medicine. I followed 10 clinical trials for brain cancer, breast cancer, lymphoma, leukemia, HIV, spinal cord injury, retinitis pigmentosa, and bubble boy disease where babies are born without an immune system. And these are not available to the public yet, but people could see how this was progressing and the huge advances that are being made in medicine towards cures. And then right as we were kind of finishing up editing that film with my son, David, I was diagnosed with uh, bladder cancer. Whoa. And that was uh, quite a shock. And it was something that on the positive side made me understand much more concretely what the people in my film were dealing with, where they felt they had a window of opportunity to find a cure. So I spent time, you know, going through the therapy and whatnot. And my son took over, well, we were almost finished with that film, but he took over the the editing of this film. He had said that he was not going to work on the second film, that he was going to go do his own thing. And I said, fine. But then when I got uh, diagnosed, he came back and he worked on it. So I went through the therapy and everything, and now I'm feeling great. I'm doing well, doing really well. So I think the pandemic, in a sense, didn't affect me quite like everybody else because I had just come through a year of turmoil, emotional turmoil, and some physical hardship. And so I had to promote these two films, which I can do very well from home. And I have a garden outside. I grow fruit trees. That's sort of my hobby. And I have about 40 fruit trees in a very small backyard or a normal sized backyard. So I, uh, I'm worried about the pandemic. I have my one son living here and we have to live around each other in certain ways. It's difficult for us and it's difficult for everybody, but it's sort of not as difficult personally as last year. Wow. I'm glad you're feeling better. Can you talk about your journey as a filmmaker? So I have a style of filmmaking that I call life in progress. I worked with my brother for many years. And then the last four or five years I've been working on my own. Life in progress filmmaking is where once I choose my subjects, I try to fade in the background and let life evolve organically and uh, not try to influence it. The upside of this is that when you film something, it can be very authentic. It's just coming naturally from real life The difficult side of it is that you often have to show up many times where 
nothing of consequence might happen or nothing that would wind up in the film might happen. So you spend a lot of time filming knowing that you're only going to use a fraction of that. So I've been doing this style of filmmaking for many years. My brother and I did Taxi Cab Confessions on HBO for 16 years and other programming. The idea is to capture something that's very authentic and very relatable. I was making television and some film, but I felt that television was getting stupider and stupider. And in the early years, they let me do documentary television, but as time went on, they didn't understand documentary television. They felt they understood reality television. They wanted me to do that. I feel that's the opposite of what I do and I didn't want to. So <laughs> I stopped doing television and I'm only doing the last 10 years social action documentaries. It's been difficult because when you do television, it might not be as rewarding because you know you have TV executives and so many things you have to juggle, but you get a budget and it's given to you. Here's your budget. It's got a line item for all the things that you need. In these three films that I've done back to back, I'm raising the funds through um, tax deductible donations, and that's a full-time job. So you're raising the funds to make the film and you're making the film. And in this case, I was raising the funds to make two films and making two films, it's been extremely, I'd say difficult and stressful at times. And then on top of that with this film, this is probably the hardest film I've made because I started out feeling like I wanted to film anybody who was working to stop climate change. And that included people like scientists and journalists and professors. But as time went on, I looked at those folks and I said, well, you know, you've got a good salary, you've got a great life. Is, is fighting climate change your focus or is it your hobby? And I don't know. So I started over in a sense, and I only wanted to focus on people who were in the trenches, who had to sacrifice to fight climate change and something had to give either, you know, it was hard to earn a living or it was hard to juggle their family and relationship or whatever. And then I decided I wanted to follow people, uh, not exclusively, but a lot of people who are doing direct action or civil disobedience. So I had to, you know, be vetted to some extent by people. And, you know, I come from LA, which is questioned, you know, uh, I'm filming people in other parts of the country. I am older, uh, which could be questioned. And I arrived with a crew that looks very professional with professional equipment. And I think that was even questioned. So there were some times where it was difficult. And then also I'm needing to film direct action events where they don't want people to know, they don't want the police to know in advance. So I want to know way in advance because I need to get my crew across the country to film something. And they wanted to let me know at the last minute so the word doesn't get out. And so there was a lot of difficult moments. Can you talk about your biggest setback? Well, my biggest frustration during this, there was a woman named Shirley who lives in uh, Seattle. And she was 91 when I started working with her and 92 when I stopped working. And she had been arrested 12 times and she would get arrested in her rocking chair, which she would chain herself to. And uh, she was great. She was quite old and a little feeble, but she was just so committed. And uh, there was a event which I had arranged with her and the grannies that she worked with to film. 
and it was in Northern Washington. I had arranged to go up there with a crew and film that. And I arrived there with my crew and the people who were in the greater community decided that uh, I wasn't trustable to film this. I don't know what the discussion was. I just know that I called up my contact. I'm here, I'm on my way over, can I come film it? Uh, no, we, we don't want you to film. I have to raise this money through donations and then I have to get a crew together and I have to get up there and I arrived there. And so I was not able to film that. And they did say to me at the moment that the actual protest was happening, okay, you can come now. But the way I film, it's life in progress. You, you show the story arc, the preparation and the conversation between people. You don't just come there like they might invite a press to come in and just get a photograph. So that was lost and, and I never got something to tell her story. And so I wasn't able to include her in the film. That's my dog. He, uh, he howls whenever there is a uh, emergency vehicle nearby. It seems to me that you've had a lot of successes. It's very exciting. Do you have a success you're most proud of? I'd say my success I'm most proud of is my two kids. I think they're fantastic. And, you know, it's just wonderful to be able to see them and see the work they're doing. I mean, both of them worked with me on this film, but my son, David, does his own film work and editing work. And my son, Nathan, does his own music under the, the name World, W-E-R-L-D. So he does his own music. You know, they're just great kids. I'm very proud of that. The success you're most proud of professionally? I don't know that I go up and down with the things I do. You know, I'm very determined and I push on things. I get frustrated when they don't work. In documentary filmmaking, there's a lot of things that don't work or don't work as well as you would have liked. And then it's there and you get it done and it's a huge relief. And then you have to work to get it seen by as many people and not seen so that you make a lot of money as much as, because you rarely make a lot of money, but seen because you want to have an influence on making an impact with the issue. And unless people see it, it's all for nothing. I think these last three films, the first one, American Winter, second one, Indian Disease, and this one, The Race to Save the World, all came together very well. I'm thrilled that I actually finished them and got them out there. And I still am pushing on both of the last two to get them seen. It's a trifecta of success. It's a trifecta of finally finishing these things. <laughs> Can you talk about your vision of the world 20, 30, 40 years out? How are we going to do with regard to climate change? Well, I have to be an optimist because I don't like to live any other way. I think you can't really make documentary films without being an optimist because you never have the, the money to work two months in advance and you're always assuming you're going to have it and keep moving forward. So I think that the last four years were incredibly depressing with Trump and he undermined everything that was a positive in terms of fighting climate change, just so unnecessary and so disheartening. But we have a new administration and he has committed to a $2 trillion package to fight climate change. He committed to that as he was running for president. That is not a given that he's going to get that passed. But if people can get into the streets and people can make their voices heard, 
and people can put pressure on our government and that gets passed, this country is the biggest impediment to fighting climate change in the world or has been over the last four years. And we need to turn things around. And if Bill Gates, you know, who just wrote a book and he said that we need to fight climate change as we would a world war. And if people will realize that and we do fight climate change like it's a world war and we put our energies in this country and around the world towards focusing on that, I think the combination of the changes that we can make now, which are profound, changing so many things about the way we live on a daily basis. If we can change those things, we can. And then there are going to be advantages that will come through scientific discoveries that will help us capture carbon, be more efficient in terms of our solar energy, our batteries, our wind power, our tidal power. So I do feel that there is a change that is possible that could be big enough to confront this. Uh, I think that, you know, we're in it already, and there's no way we're not going to feel the effects of it, but I do feel like we can mitigate that. It's going to be a difficult time, but I think we can rise to the challenge and we can fight it in a way that uh, life can go on in a way that we'll feel good about. With World War II, it took Pearl Harbor to get the U.S. engaged, so there was a definite moment that made Americans and the American leaders feel like we had to engage. And once we did, we were able to manufacture whatever we needed incredibly quickly. And leaders in the country changed jobs to produce what we needed in order to win that war. I'm not sure I can think of what event would bind everybody together like that, because if they did, we certainly could produce everything we needed to battle climate change and win. I think we're in a situation where we've had a dozen Pearl Harbors already. The only difference is that when Pearl Harbor came, there were people that saw that that was the Japanese and could say that's the Japanese. People are saying, you know, this thing that happened in Texas, this hurricane that happened in Houston, this other hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico, and, and this drought that happened in the Midwest, people are saying, well, that's climate change. And then you have these idiots who are self-serving liars that are going to protect their pocketbooks over humanity, they are saying, well, no, I don't see, I don't see climate change. Where's climate change? So uh, they have the money to promote their PR machine. They have the people in Congress to pay off. But we've had Pearl Harbors over and over. And uh, there's so much evidence that anyone who pays attention, I don't care if you're five years old or 50 years old, there's so much evidence that you could look to and say, wow, it's obvious we need to do something now. And you just got to act on that and not pay attention to those people who are trying to undermine it. Has COVID impacted our response to climate change, changed your vision of the future? I don't know if it has or hasn't, but I think some people certainly say, well, for years, the right has put forward the idea that, no, we can't fight climate change because we're going to lose jobs. And first of all, that wasn't even true. And it's not true now. Fighting climate change will create jobs. I think that is an indisputable fact. But if we're afraid of doing something positive in the idea that it would lose jobs, we shut down the economy. 
We didn't only shut down the economy. Europe shut down the economy. England shut down the economy. India shut down the economy. China shut down part of their economy. And they did it because they felt they needed to for the good of their country and for the health of their people. So if it can be done for a pandemic, it can be done under the threat of worldwide extinction with climate change. So yes, it's affected your opinion. (laughs) It can be done. You filmed other people doing things, very huge things to fight climate change. What's one simple thing that more regular people could do? There are ways to lobby politicians and put pressure on politicians. You know, if you're homebound, you can write letters or emails and put pressure on politicians. If you can get out of your house, you can get in the streets and put pressure on politicians. I personally believe that without governments doing the kind of big sweeping changes that they're able to do, mandating changes on automobiles and trains and mandating tax advantages for solar panels and whatever else, I think that that has to be done. And the reason it hasn't been done is just because people in Congress are paid off and the propaganda machines of the fossil fuel industries are overwhelming people and and uh, there's certain people who you know, are not even getting access to something resembling the truth. So people can do a myriad of things. And at the end of the film, there's some organizations that people can reach out to. But I think anything you can do to put pressure on politicians to make them pay attention to the people who they represent rather than the people that pay for their reelection would be very worthwhile. Before I wrap this up, is there anything else you want to say? What I'm hoping is that people will watch this film the day or night before Earth Day and that this film can give people a little shot in the arm and get people inspired to maybe get in the streets or make their voices heard to fight climate change on Earth Day or after Earth Day. And uh, I think people can find it hopefully through one of these climate organizations. It also is going to be virtually in theaters. And you can look on our website, which is theracetosavetheworld.com, and find out what theaters it's in and also what climate organizations are showing it. And if anybody wants to ask me any questions or see about showing the film through their organization, the way these virtual theatrical screenings work is you can show it through your church, your climate organization, your environmental organization, or really any group of people and try to use it to get the word out. I've already seen it because you let me, and I think it's great. So I hope people see it, and I think they will. Thank you so much, Lee. I appreciate that. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. For many years, we've had a desperate situation, and you wanted to save our world and our nation When it comes to people that don't understand the trouble, you don't know them because you've been in a climate change bubble. You are afraid that the world will wither, so you just didn't have, didn't have time to dither. You studied stem cells and got a cancer disease, but you can still promote your movies and grow your fruit trees. You wanted to show that the world was so much of a mess, so you developed a style called Life in Progress. There was a time when you learned the style lessons. It was when you did Taxi Cab Confessions. 
To get there way in advance, it is a must. So with the people you're filming, you have to develop trust. There was a grandma, but it was an opportunity missed. We've had four depressing years, but you're still an optimist. When it comes to climate deniers, they ignore the events that are happening. You call them liars. I know that people are gonna see your show. Thank you very much, Joe. Seely, I thought as we were talking, you were listening to me, but you were writing a song the whole time. <laughs> Joe's passion for movie making and for climate change mitigation is intense. I guess it has to be to keep him fighting against the challenges of both. Imagine putting a crew together, flying somewhere, filming for days, and not knowing if you're going to get any useful footage for the film or even be allowed to film. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. The stars in Joe's movie, The Race to Save the World, are ordinary people taking extraordinary action. They're putting a lot more on the line for climate change than I do, or that most of my climate champion guests do, but we all can do something, and likely more than we're already doing. See the movie get inspired, and get out in the street, or vote, or call your congressperson. Find a way to have your voice heard and do just a little bit more to help mitigate climate change.